This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. Hello, hello, hello. Again, this is Jackie. I am the president of the League of Women Voters in Oklahoma County, and this is another episode on Tushalicious Talk. Um, And today I have Cindy Alexander, who is the founder of Indivisible Stillwater, and then my repeat guest, Stephanie Henson, who is a League of Women Voters of Oklahoma board member. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here. And today they're going to help me and you understand what the heck is an initiative petition. Um, And I would love to let Cindy take it from there. And if you'll introduce yourself, tell us what you do and, uh, you know, give us all your good spilling of the beans. Okay, great. Uh, My name's Cindy Alexander. I'm a retired veterinarian and a full-time volunteer organizer and activist. I'm the uh, founder and co-leader of Indivisible Stillwater and co-leader of Indivisible Oklahoma. And I'm here today to talk about the Oklahoma Direct Democracy Team, which is a group developed by Indivisible Oklahoma to oppose legislative measures designed to restrict our constitutional right to direct democracy and also to create a network of grassroots petition circulators. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like you do a lot of work here (laughs) and you do a lot of work with the league, which is how I actually met Cindy. Well, this is my first time meeting her in person, but we've probably done what, 50 Zooms together (laughs) at least. Uh, So Stephanie from the league, uh, my question for you as you reintroduce yourself again is what is your understanding of an initiative petition? And are you still somewhat confused about it? Because I still have, even though I've done Zooms over them before, it's still a confusing process for me, which is why I wanted to focus another episode specifically on initiative petitions. Well, for me and the work with the league is where I've learned the most about initiative petition work, because I was saying to Cindy before we came in, I was so grateful to be able to work when the league was working on Medicaid expansion. We circulated, that was the first time that I was actively circulating a petition for uh, a policy that you know, we felt strongly about it. And it was so gratifying to, of course, see that uh, Medicaid expansion ultimately got on the ballot and it ultimately passed. So uh, that was the very first opportunity I had to work on it. And, and I'm grateful, grateful to the league. Again, it was one of those amazing things that we all were a part of as a league. And it was so empowering to to be, you know, a part of that and to see good legislation passed. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for, to the league for, you know, and of course then later on, we had the opportunity to work a lot with Andy Moore when we were trying to get, um, you know, signatures collected to to come up with that. Districting. Yeah. The redistricting work. Yeah. With uh, let's fix this and people, not politicians. And of course then COVID interfered with that. And we, but that was so interesting, you know, talking about that entire process of, uh, you know, it going to the Supreme Court and being contested. And I mean, just the whole process was fascinating to learn about, you know, and then as it as it turned out, COVID happened and, and we didn't get to see that one through to, you know, it's, it's <laughs> end. But, but so I've been grateful just for the volunteer work, you know, it's just sort of learning by doing, I think is what. Yeah, definitely. I remember learning and I think in the eighth grade in civics that every state has their own constitution 
on top of the United States having a constitution. But I think somewhere I forgot that. Um, but my point is Oklahoma's constitution, um, and I read this at the okc.gov forward slash departments forward slash initiative dash petition. Um, Oklahoma state constitution gives residents the power to file initiative petitions about legislative issues. With the required number of legally sufficient signatures, the initiative triggers a citywide public vote. But now for my understanding, that is for the city of Oklahoma, but that's also separate from the state of Oklahoma. Is that correct? Right. That's right. The Oklahoma Constitution gives the citizens of the state that right, as you describe, and the charter of the city of Oklahoma City gives city residents similar rights. And in fact, the charter of the city of Oklahoma City adopts the wording of the pertinent sections of the Oklahoma Constitution right into the city charter. Uh, ballot measures are ballot measures that are initiated by citizens because they can also be initiated by the legislature. But ballot measures that are initiated by citizens begin as petitions. They are filed with the Secretary of State and Attorney General in the case of a statewide petition or with the Oklahoma City Clerk. There are a lot of steps, especially with the statewide petition. There are a lot of steps. It's complicated. It's expensive. Uh, two of the steps um, that you've asked about are signature gathering and challenges. But there are many steps between the filing and a vote of the people on a state question. So an initiative petition, if it's successful, becomes a ballot measure, which we call a state question in Oklahoma. Okay. Okay. That's a lot within itself. But it is there. it's information that we all need to know. So let's take, um, what was the last ballot measure that we voted on? Was it the marijuana thing? Yes. So, so so a person in Oklahoma wanted marijuana to become legal, so then they would have filed an initiative petition. It can be just a person. Um, the Because it's so expensive and it's so complicated, it tends to be a little more organized by that. Mm -hmm. um, individuals have filed petitions, uh, but unfortunately, to be successful, uh, let's just talk about State Question 820 for a second. They spent $2.5 million just to get the question on the ballot. Wow. And then another $2.5 million after that, just, you know, campaigning. So it's a complicated process. One of the reasons why the Oklahoma Direct Democracy team decided to start training people to be grassroots signature collectors is because some months back, an individual um, enthusiastic about reproductive rights looked at the looked at the the probably the same website you looked at and thought, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up and do something, and filed a petition having to do with reproductive freedoms. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, he he had not he didn't have in place any financial backing or um, uh, professional campaign management. Behind him. Resources. So, right. So, so he withdrew that petition. But while it was still out there in the social media spaces where we all hang out together, hundreds of people were saying, oh, I'll circulate a petition. Where can I get my petition? I want to circulate petitions. And that inspired me to harness that energy. And so I met with some of my co-leaders of Indivisible Oklahoma, and we decided to put together uh, what we're calling the Oklahoma Direct Democracy Team, and train people to circulate initiative petitions so that if a good initiative petition gets filed, we are ready to go. 
Cool. Cool. (laughs) I'm so glad that it's someone's, I'm not going to say job because I'm sure you don't get paid for it, (laughs) but someone's duty to uphold that responsibility. So once a person or organization files the initiative petition, okay, then they have to get so many signatures on the petition before they turn it in. That's correct. The um, The Oklahoma Constitution prescribes the number of valid signatures needed to put the measure on the ballot as the state question, and it's based on a percentage of the number of votes cast at the preceding gubernatorial election. So that number is currently just over 92,000 to propose a law and just under 175,000 to propose an amendment to the Oklahoma Constitution. And in Oklahoma, We have only 90 days to collect all those signatures. Of all the states in the nation, we have the third shortest signature circulation period. For Oklahoma City petitions, the number of valid signatures required is based on a percentage of the votes cast at the last mayoral election, and currently it's just over 15,000. So those numbers will change after the next mayor and, and governor are elected. That's very complicated. <laughs> I honestly want to ask you, what's the number again for the state? Repeat for, that for me. For it's, If it's a law, if it's just to change a law, mm-hmm. it's 92,000 to propose a law. Okay. If it's to propose, an, uh, if it's to amend the Constitution, it's just over 175,000. And if it is to so-called veto a law that was recently passed, then it's just under 60,000. Wow. Wow. Do you know the number of voters that no, normally turn out? What I can tell you is for state question, are you talking about how many how many voters vote for governor? It, it, that's what the number is based off of? Yes. Off the governor and the mayor. Yes. And I, I don't have the number. It's OK. Memorized. I don't either. And we're both legal women voters. So. But I can tell you that the number of voters in the last gubernatorial election was not particularly large. A lot of people stayed home for the last election, the last gubernatorial election. Is it 8 percent of that? Or it depends, right? If it's a constitutional amendment, that's a different percentage. It than if it's, if it's initiated state. legislation, it's 8 percent. If it's an initiated constitutional amendment, it's 15%. If it's what's called a referendum petition, which is usually given the nickname veto referendum, then it's uh, 5%. And for it's 25% for a citywide, and it's based on 25% of the mayoral votes. So there will be fewer numbers of signatories required if, based on the smaller number of people who came out in November of 2022. Y- yes, actually. No matter the, what sort of legislation number, we're trying. My recollection of state question um, 802, Medicaid expansion, which we both worked on, was that 180,000 was the required number of signatures. And that was, I mean, that was, what, 12 years ago? And right now it's 172,000. So it's actually a little bit lower. And I guess they went above and beyond to get more. They'll get way more signatures right. just because they can then cull and curate signatures. And if anything is, I remember even going through, I was like with a fine tooth comb when I was circulating my petition to make sure that, for example, when people wrote their county, that they wrote it out in its entirety, you know, the names, you know, that we, we, it has to be, you know, I was really trying to dot every I and cross every T to make sure that the signatures would count. So they'll get a lot more just to make sure that they have those that count, you know, that you have to, you need that number of 
signatures that count. The Yes on 802 campaign for Medicaid expansion collected 300,000 signatures, the most of any initiative petition, and at least 30,000, some reports say 40,000, of those signatures were collected by volunteers. And that was without the advanced training and organization that we're doing now. Interesting. Do you know the uh, other or all of the reasons why signatures are thrown out? Yes, there are um, there are what are called data points on the signature line. So when I'm out, when somebody's out collecting signatures, you hand to the voter your clipboard and they are supposed to write in certain things on the signature line. And there are five what are called data points is uh, your birth date, your uh, name as as it appears on your voter registration card. And uh, so, for example, I'm registered to vote as Cynthia, but I generally go by Cindy. So if I forget and I put Cindy on the signature line, that's one data point down. Three out of five data points have to be correct. So it's date of birth, first and last name, and the numbers on your street address and your zip code. And when I was circulating the petition, I remember a lot of people I would run into would say, oh, gee whiz, I'm not 100% sure what my name looks like on my voter ID card. And for those of us who are with the League of Women Voters, I have to say that was my first opportunity to pull up Vote 411. And we would say, well, let's just look. And so we used our information uh, on the phone. People would whip out their phone and we would look them up on Vote 411 and we would say, oh, here's what it says on your voter ID card. So that was actually, I was grateful for that because we were working on Vote 411 at the time too. I thought, yay, we're able to Cool. Use it. <laughs> That's awesome. Go league. <laughs> go, go league work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then my, my next question is, I, I read something about people protesting petitions. Okay. So can people protest the petition while you're getting signatures or do they wait until after you have collected enough signatures and then protesting a petition is a separate process? For statewide petitions, and it looks like it's a little different for city citywide petitions, but for statewide petitions, there are two challenge period. The first one is right after the petition is published in the newspaper. Um, anybody in the state can file a challenge with the Oklahoma Supreme Court within 10 days of when it is when it is published. So people who are interested in initiative petitions and people who are interested in blocking progressive initiative petitions, they, they they either have inside information about what's going to happen or they just check out the website every day and see what's been filed. So they're ready to get their challenge filed. So they have that 10-day period. And then for statewide elect, for statewide petitions, the Supreme Court hears both sides. They hear all the challenges. And then at the end of that challenge period, when everything's been settled, then signature collection can begin. After the signatures are turned in, in uh, that first challenge period is to the, the constitutionality and the, the substance of the petition. In other words, was it done in a legal manner? Would the law be legal if it was on the books? Mm -hmm. The second time anybody can challenge is after the signatures have been turned in. Then anybody has a, another 10-day period to file a challenge with the Supreme Court against the number or validity of the signatures. I remember the problem with the redistricting uh, that went to the Supreme Court was the gist. The wording of the gist was the issue that took a while. And could could you speak to, Cindy, to the time frame? Because isn't that something we'd like to maybe ultimately 
make sure that there's really not the time frame for certain things is fuzzy with um, certain legal things or when, when it goes back, there's a, like, I'm trying to remember what it is that it seemed frustrating. Same with the marijuana one that there was, you know, the time was not really clear on how long they could hold on to a, a challenge, for example, you know, so that you'd toss it back to them. And so after working so hard to collect all those signatures, the idea that it felt like there was a not a real definite time frame on when you get back. You yeah, know what the, I mean? The like kind that of question back came, and forth. I, I was thinking about was on 820, it got pushed back so many times. Like we were told it'll be on this ballot and then it wasn't on that ballot or it'll be on this ballot and then it wasn't on that ballot. So is that because someone was um, protesting um, most of the reason for the delay in getting 820 on the ballot had to do with repeated, repeated challenges. So one thing would be challenge and then another thing would be challenge. And each of those would delay the interval, would shorten the interval until the next election. So state questions are voted on at statewide elections. So, so it's in even years of November. And so the filing was timed as if it would be like any state question and, you know, filed in, in January. It should have been enough time to get it on the ballot in November. So the multiple repeated challenges slowed it down. And then the governor uh, took the longest possible time he could to, um, to name, to, to state the election date with the uh, reason given that it was too close to have ballots printed uh, and have them ready. So the, the timing is an important issue. Another problem that 820 had was for the first time, the state of Oklahoma hired a vendor to count the signatures. Historically, it had been done in-house at the Secretary of State's office, and it would take like three to four weeks to get them all counted. State question 802, 300,000 signatures took three to four weeks to get them counted. State question 8, 820, which had far fewer signatures, it took the vendors more than seven weeks and it cost the state $300,000. So people who may be interested in getting a petition together, I think are probably going to be looking at that and backing up their time frame. So instead of filing in January, they may be filing next month in order to be on the November of 2024 ballot. Wow. I'm I'm overwhelmed a little bit by all of the information that you are providing. It all makes total sense. You are excellent at your explanations, but it's just a lot of information. Um, so I know last legislative season the league, we put out a lot of action alerts over initiative petitions and basically stating that people in the certain people, not all of the people in the legislative seats, but certain people are trying to cut down on Oklahomans' rights to file an initiative petition. So if you could touch on that and some of the concerns surrounding the initiative petition process from the view of the direct democracy team. Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to do that. That that's an important that's an important issue. Uh, in addition to the number of signatures required on a petition, the Constitution also prescribes the number of votes needed to pass a state question. Currently, it's a simple statewide majority. In other words, fifty percent of all voters, if they fifty percent plus one voter vote yes, it, it passes. 
Amending the Constitution is the only way to change the number of signatures required to put a proposal on the ballot. It's the only way to change the number of yes votes required for passage of the state question. And it's the only way to impose geographic restrictions like requiring a majority from each congressional district or county. And all constitutional amendments, whether proposed by the people or the legislature, require a vote of the people. That means we, being well organized, should be able to defeat any state question that is meant to to diminish our right to direct democracy. On the other hand, the statutes, the Oklahoma laws, also regulate ballot measures, And the laws stipulate things like the required wording and formatting of petitions, the requirements for a signature to be valid, how signatures are counted, and the steps in the process between the filing of the petition and its appearance on the ballot, including the length of the challenge periods and other deadlines. These things can all be changed with legislation. They do not require a vote of the people. And these are very, very vulnerable areas in our fight to preserve our right to use the initiative petition process. Will you repeat them one more time for me? Sure. The things in the Constitution are the the, uh, number of signatures, Mm -hmm. um, the number of yes votes required, and the fact that there's it's a statewide simple majority. The things that are just in the laws are things like the wording and formatting of the petition. So, for example, there was a law passed in, I think it was 2019, that made the likelihood, that made a financial impact statement required on an initiative petition. That happened after Medicaid expansion. And so that was, that was just a law. The other things that the legislature can change without of the vote of the people are the requirements for a signature to be valid. So the law is currently three out of five data points. Um, Senate Bill 518, which was introduced in 2023, was would have made it four out of five data points, which would have made it very easy for a signature to be accidentally invalidated. For example, if I put Cindy instead of Cynthia or my address has a six in it, if my six looked like a five, that, that's it. Um, also, the, uh, the deadlines, the length of challenge periods and the steps in the process. So, and during the 2023 legislative sessions, legislative session, there were six bills or joint resolutions introduced that would restrict our ability to use the initiative petition process. None of them passed, but they all carry over into the 2024 session and new bills are likely to be introduced. So we have to remain vigilant. And the way to be vigilant is to sign up to get the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma emails because action alerts appear in those. Uh, People who have joined up to, people who have signed up for the Direct Democracy team also get an action alert right in their inbox. And uh, they're shared on social media widely, too. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cindy, by the way, for those who might be watching online. Cindy is the one. Cindy and Abby and Dan have all worked hard on putting out those action alerts for all of us. And and I I know one thing that's lovely is just to forward it to other friends who might be, you know, when when I get your email, to forward it to others who might not be receiving. In addition to all the other wonderful things the league (laughs) does, one thing it did that it might not do for most people is it taught me how to use MailChimp. So I'm I'm (laughs) grateful for that new skill. Thank you. 
you. <laughs> not intuitive, by the way. <laughs> it's not horrible, but it can be. My hat's off to both of you. <laughs> okay. Um, another thing that they do at the legislative offices are interim studies. Okay. So how are interim studies related to initiative petitions? Or what is an interim study, first of all? Right. And then how is it related? Okay, well, in yeah. this situation, one is related. So, but the, to answer your first question, what is an interim study? Between the legislative session, so the legislative legislature ends in May and then it resumes again in February. Mm -hmm. So in that interim, uh, any legislator can submit a proposal for what's called an interim study. And it, it's essentially just a committee. I shouldn't say just. It's essentially a committee hearing where outside experts are brought in to, to teach the members of that legislative committee about the topic. And this, this interim session, there have been um, two... Two interim studies approved. It doesn't mean they'll be heard, but at least they've been approved that pertain to voting and initiative petitions. Uh, one has to do with ranked choice voting, which is something the league has formally uh, gone on record to support. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other has to do with protecting our right to direct democracy. So when those get scheduled, they've been approved. When they get scheduled, everybody should be checking their inbox and their email inbox because the uh, the dates will be provided. They are open to the public and they should be available. Uh, recordings and live online uh, live proceedings should be available over the Internet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the state website. Yeah. Yes which is kind of difficult to find sometimes too. I will try to post that uh, in the comments on here because I, I have, if I didn't work for the league, I would not know how to get to that website. I will say that uh, and to the live recordings. But once you figure it out, it is very easy to navigate through right. all of the sessions. There'll be links um, in, in the MailChimp and the email that goes out. There's if anything that's, that's of interest we try pretty hard to put a link in there. So all you have to do is click on it and it'll take you right to it. The problem is you might not want to go to it while you're reading the email. So I suggest saving that email um, so you can look at it later when you're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. So then how are, if they are, how are interim studies related to initiative petitions, please? Well, in this case, the only relationship is that there is going to be an interim study on protecting our right to use initiative petitions. Otherwise, they're, they're really, uh, they're separate things. Okay. Okay. That's kind of what I thought, but, you know, sometimes they're if you don't ask, you don't know. <laughs> and thank you, by the way, Jackie, for always good clarifying questions, because I appreciate what you're saying, too. Like when you were talking about all the things we learned in government classes or our civics education, I thought I had a pretty good civics education. And then when you get involved with the league work or just policy work or that you realize how much I know that I didn't know. You learn what you didn't know. <laughs> and it's a lot. And it is. So it is. So I appreciate so much that you are doing these uh you know, all of your different podcasts, I think, always elucidate the work that we thought we learned in eighth grade. Like you were saying in the NRA grade government classes, like, hey, we didn't learn that. <laughs> we didn't. And because like you were saying, too, it is so different in whatever state you're living in or whatever yeah. municipality or whatever. The you know, it's really different according to where you live, what mm -hmm. rules govern the way that you would, you know, go about any of these 
processes. So. And then they're all the same words, but different processes. So it's like constitution, constitution, constitution. Like, I think maybe the average person doesn't even realize that there's more than one type of constitution. And maybe we did learn it, but here in real life as adults, we forgot that, yeah, there's a constitution of Oklahoma City and Oklahoma County and the state of Oklahoma and the United States of America. Like there's so many. It's I, I remember being in one meeting. I think it was, uh, I think we were talking to Senator Lankford's assistant. But anyways, I remember saying it's like if you don't have a political science degree, it's so hard to just keep up with this information because it is so overwhelming and it changes literally every year, if not every month. Always changing. And then, you know, even I was thinking too, when you were listing everything, when we had, we'd had last month, uh, Patricia Herod, who's with the Muscogee tribe. And so then tribal governments to add another, you know, the differences in when, when, you know, you're with your tribal governments. And so, yeah, jurisdictions are all, it's all so compelling. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your I think for asking those good questions and thank you. Thank you for then uh, continuing to inform, keep league members informed, Cindy, because it's, it's a lot. It's incumbent on all of us to teach, yes. to teach each other. All of us take, uh, uh, what is it that uh, Chris Steele always says, all of us need all of us to succeed. Mm-hmm. He says, all of us need all of us and the gifts that we have to give and bring. And Yes. So thank so. you. Both for your good to bring more clarification. <laughs> what is the difference between an initiative petition and a legislative a legislative bill? And I'm going to say like the etymological sense, and then towards the end and concluding what an initiative petition is and what a bill is. So, like from the origination of initiative petition or a bill all the way to lawful decree. What is the main difference? Well, a a bill is introduced by a legislator, so either a representative or a senator. An initiative, if the word initiative is in there, um, it could be either initiated by a citizen or the legislature, but the legislature does not have to use a petition. So if it's initiative petition, a citizen initiated it. Okay, if it's a if it's a bill, a legislator initiated it, and if it is a bill, the citizens do not get to vote on it. We elect people to vote for us and keep our fingers crossed that they do a good job of representing our wants and needs. And when they don't, the citizens take matters into their own hands and file an initiative petition so that they can write their own law. And that is the, the basic difference between a bill and an initiative petition is who gets who gets to design it and who gets to vote on it. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. That was a very simple description. It made a whole lot of sense. So um, in concluding, if you will just let us know um, the direct democracy team's contact information, how to, if a person wants to get in the training program, what would they need to do? Great. Uh, Thank you for asking that. Um, For one thing, watch your inboxes for the next League of Women Voters email because there will be a link. Um, You can email me directly at indivisiblestillwater at gmail.com. Um, And uh, I'm happy to get people on the direct democracy team. In addition, we post uh, mostly just in Facebook because I have not taken the time to learn some of the young people's social media preferred (laughs) platforms. 
Uh, but I, I really encourage people, you have expressed how complicated it is, and I really encourage people to um, take the time to learn more about it. It's uh, when the Direct Democracy team does a presentation, the slides are emailed out the next day, so it's something you can always go back to and look at. Uh, we have formal, we, uh, until, it, uh, until a petition gets filed, we're concentrating on what we're calling workshop one, which explains all the steps in the initiative petition process. We do that the uh, third Wednesday, fourth Wednesday of every month. And then also um, anybody can volunteer me for a speaking engagement to come and talk to a group uh, with this presentation. And once a petition gets filed, then we'll do what we call a workshop two. Workshop one will be a prerequisite where we teach people about that particular petition so we can get revved up and get out and uh, get it circulating. Awesome. Awesome. It sounds like you have this very organized. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> well, since I guess since the 2016 presidential election, I decided I needed to do something. <laughs> And if you will let us know what your Facebook page is. Um, Indivisible Stillwater has a Facebook page and Indivisible Oklahoma has a Facebook page. You can also message. Another way to communicate uh, is to message on those um, to those pages. Um, the the groups um, are are private, but uh, it doesn't take long to, you know, look at somebody's profile and decide to, you know, pretty much any league member would be automatic and automatic in. So uh, we, we hope the people will, will look for us and um, keep in mind that we're working with the league as one of our sort of partners in this, in this process. Yep. And I'm here. So uh, I share a lot of their stuff on our Facebook page. So for Oklahoma County, it is at LWVOK County. And then for the state league, it's simply at LWVOK. So follow both of those pages and then also follow Indivisible Stillwater and Indivisible Oklahoma. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you again, Stephanie. And thank everyone for listening and have a great month of August. Bye. Thank you. And happy back to school. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.